Hi, I'm Maria Thea Harris of Velosos, and you're listening to a Sewing, Save and Mending podcast. Grab a cuppa and join us. Sew, Organise, Style podcast acknowledges traditional owners of country throughout Australia. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome back to Sew, Organise, Style podcast. Today is one of our Sewing, Save series or mending podcasts and we've got a really special guest that I know all of you who are into mending will be excited to hear from, Kate Seculis. She's found some time in her hectic schedule to come onto the podcast today and fingers crossed she'll come back again. So welcome, Kate. Thanks, Maria. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for fitting us into your schedule. I know that you've been flat out with your book, which we'll come to, but more importantly, you're a role model for menders. Oh, that's so nice. Thank you. You know, I had no idea. I get some, you know, we conversed on Instagram, but yeah, I didn't know. Role model is a big word, but I'll take it. Thank you. It's a big word and big responsibility, but I know through talking to Katrine of Mending Mayhem. I mean, she got started with Mending Mayhem because of Mend March. That's right, 2018. Yeah, that was the first one, 2018. So 2018 was the first Mend March. Mend March, hashtag Mend March, and this year will be the fourth. Brilliant. Should I tell you about it? Yes, please. Okay, so it's a fun insert. I you know what happened in 2018? I'm not very good at Instagram and I hadn't had my account long, but I noticed there's this thing called an Instagram challenge. I thought, oh, okay, you just sort of set a task and put a hashtag on. I'll do that. And this was like February the 27th or maybe 6th. But I thought, oh, mend March. That's what I'll do. Made a load of every day I had a prompt. Yeah. And I put it up and said, you know, just play along, do any day you want, drop in, drop out, there's no pressure, but let's just mend together. And it was fantastic. So that's when I met Katrin and that's when I met a few of my favourite mend friends. And, you know, it's just been getting more and more since then. And it was quite niche in 2018 Mm -hmm. on Instagram anyway. And it's just getting bigger and bigger so we have a lot of fun and it's still got this real community feel which is really unusual in social media yeah just from developing the podcast with Katrina Mending Mayhem and also the guests who come on to talk about their men's it's quite clear that it is a really lovely community to be part of and there are so many artistic creative people in that space as well so it's not here's how you sew a, a seam but colour, using what they have available to them is something that the mending community is just used to. That's right. Well, it's all about using what you have. And, you know, there's this old, and I'm from England, so that um, World War II slogan, make, do and mend, and people bring that back and that's a hashtag. But in a way, that's just not what it is because we're not making do. It's really all very creative and we don't have to mend these days. It's actually quite a luxury to mend because it takes time. And that's ironic because mending throughout history, and I'm sure we'll be talking about that a bit, because I am a historian of 
mending and that's it, been you know there's been a lot of shame around it and it's been and it's been you mend from necessity but now it's really different and it's really creative and yeah you use anything I'm a big um, proponent of just doing it even if you think you can't and use whatever you've got yeah so what got you into the history of mending Ah, well, um, I went academic. Um, I did a master's in, in costume history in ooh, 2017, not very long ago. And, yeah. you know, it's like a third act. Um, and I find that academic life really suits me. I love it. So I continued. And during that two-year MA, I, um, I wasn't sure whether to write about the or research the secondhand market throughout time mm -hmm. or mending throughout time because neither had been really addressed at all. And now it turns out actually the secondhand market, there's a few people writing about that, but mending still very, very few, if any, writing about the history of mending, which is the history of clothes and people. It goes back as far as history and it's very hard to research because it's almost invisible. So that's what I do, and now I'm doing a PhD. <laughs> so, um, which will, I hope, also turn out to be a book, you know, more serious one than the one I've just done. The academic writing that you are doing, what's the process for then making that into a book? How do you make something that's so academic more user-friendly? Very good question. And, I mean, I've, I've got to mention the book that's just got, come out recently. It's called Mend exclamation mark a refashioning manual and manifesto and so it's about not just mending but the whole world around it and in there all the chapters are called you know what which where why and when is the history of mending so I did a you know really fast 7,000 year history of mending but because this is not an academic book and I want people to enjoy it I've made it I hope fun and interesting and so that's how to do it in a normal book but in an academic book and I've done some papers and we'll see I've got some ideas about the structure but I really don't know yet is the answer Maria I don't know but by the time I get there because PhD is a long thing it's five years my program so it's actually not that long by then, I hope to have found that out. Okay. I want it to be readable, though, by the general public, so certainly not that terrible, you know, post-post-post-structuralist kind of writing that no one can understand. I don't believe in that. While writing has a lot of facets to it, mending can be really simple. True. Yeah, well put. And it should be simple. You know... I really want everyone to try it. And I find that everyone that tries it loves it because you, first of all, people who can't sew, you probably don't know any of them, but they, they exist. People who can't sew, you know, they're intimidated by the whole idea. Yeah. I like to get them started. And then your listeners and, you know, people that you know, a lot of people can sew, but still wouldn't think of, trying amend maybe they'd rather make a new thing or just they didn't occur to them or something but 
mending has, you know, it's more than just fixing the damage when you do it visibly. So you've, you get an opportunity to personalize something and to embellish it and to make it really yours. And, you know, you know, Katrine very well. You know what she does. She's got a lovely style and everyone that tries it has their own personal style. It's like handwriting. So whether you want to or not, once you start, you are likely to find a kind of voice, to use a pretentious word, that you can't use in other kinds of sewing. It's almost like textile art, like fiber art, but just more fun. And you can't really wreck it because it's already broken. You're working on something that you might have thrown away. That's a really good point. From my background, um, if something needed mending, you always did it invisibly rather than visibly for the reason that it was worn out and you couldn't afford something else. So there was right. that shame aspect that you mentioned. Exactly. So, yes, it's really important to remember that, you know, this whole thing about mending comes from necessity. Mm -hmm. And we're lucky that if it doesn't come from necessity now, and we're lucky to have the choice of, even if it does, to make something not invisible because, you know, you for centuries you really wanted to to not show that you were wearing old clothes and now kind of apart from old clothes are trendy and your new jeans probably come with ready-made holes and you know there's a whole lot of fashion aspects these days but invisible mending is hard it's a lot harder so now that we do have more choices you know if we're lucky then yeah why not make it as visible as possible Okay, so you talked about jeans yeah, and how they've already coming to us distressed. Yes. I've seen a lot of the visible menders who absolutely love working with jeans and just basic running stitches with contrasting thread. That's right. And it's inspired by Sashko very often and also Bora, which is, well, there's a whole subject unto itself. We can't do borough because it belongs to history and it belongs to a period of Japanese history and it definitely is a kind of mending that caused shame at the time but the look is very inspiring and that's what people do on their jeans I personally don't wear jeans I know it's awful they just don't suit me I decided long ago and never went back so I don't do jeans but it's a very popular category for sure and that's really fun. I kind of wish I had some. And I think the other thing that jeans allows people to do with mending is not just the stitching, but also the patches. That's right. Absolutely. Well, I have a whole, you know, in the book, I've categorized all the mend types and I've got some different ways of, you know, different words for the kinds of patches that you can do. But yeah, they underpatch with the stitching on top around the edges. That's a really big in, in in denim that's that's what people do a lot and it can it looks amazing people do beautiful work amending now seems to attract textile artists more so than people who were traditional sewists true yeah I think that's the, that's the first round of visible menders on the um on the Instagram you know I keep mentioning Instagram I feel a bit bad about that except that that's where we meet what are you going to do at least it's worldwide and it's all inclusive. So it's doing good work in that department. I mean, your point around Instagram is also that 
English is not the barrier, it's visual. Yeah. I mean, it would be nice to have to understand some hashtags that get us across language barriers. We've got a lot of Scandinavians because they can always speak perfect English and Dutch. But, you know, I'm not sure we're reaching the whole um, the French and the Spanish and the other Europeans, let alone, you know, Arabic countries and Japan, where they're certainly doing this kind of work. Well, anyway, we'll get there. The textile art, I think, you know, fiber arts is a really big crossover area. And there are certainly, I certainly know some who are doing a lot of mending who are, well, they'll be in Mend March, let's just say. And there's a lot more to go. I've been doing some talks because of the book and I've been talking to textile artist groups here and there, and they're really into it. They haven't necessarily heard of it. So that always surprises me because I think it's got everywhere, but it still is a bit niche. It hasn't reached all the corners of fiber world or sewing world. I think one of the other areas where mending has been found are people who have disabilities. So felting is one of those mending tasks that you can do, even if you can't, if you don't have the motor skills to be able to use a needle and thread. You know, that is a really good point. And I haven't fully concentrated on that, actually. I haven't taken it in properly, but you're absolutely right. Also, it's really cathartic because it's all stabbing, just stabbing thousands of stabbing there's a whole load of I don't know if you've seen any of the kinds of men's done in mental institutions in the, at the turn of the century especially it's not really men's it's it's a fiber art it's sometimes called art brute or whatever you want to call it but there's some heartbreaking work that is related to physical mending in that it's made up as you go and it's exuberant and it's beautiful but it's also in these cases, pretty tragic. Mm. But I think that it helped those women stuck in mental institutions in a Victorian era because of the stabbing. It's that piercing the fabric over and over and over again. It's really cathartic. And, you know, I have lots of mend puns, but one favourite is um, menditation. Though it is very meditative, mending. So meditation, and then there's menspiration. And there's lots more, but I'll, I'll, I'll hold off. Till next time. Yes. Yes. Maybe one or two will slip out. So the interesting part that I found online about you was where you started from. What, you mean in my life? In your earlier life. Your first iteration when you were in a band or when you were doing boxing. Yes. I know. <laughs> yes, a long and varied career. I was in a band, yeah, in my childhood. I mean, it was like straight out of school. And yeah, it's what I thought I'd do for the rest of my life. We did, I don't know, do you know who John Peel is in England? He is a god of certain of a certain sort. He was this DJ who had alternative music show and he had did Peel sessions. So he'd get bands in to record, especially. So we did two of those. And that's my great claim to fame. That and supporting Joy Division. Ah. Excellent. But, you know, in a sort of sweaty, disgusting old Manchester club. I am that old. My husband is into music and he's just got me listening to Disgraceland. Oh. So I'm getting a lot of rock history through him. 
Oh, good. I bet he's very pleased to be um, mansplaining rock to you. Be <laughs> rude about him. I'm sure he's lovely, but you know they 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 do that sometimes, don't they? They do. I nod my head to him around music, just as he nods his head when I talk about sewing. Yeah, I have a husband like that, oddly enough. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> there's some kind of glazing over that happens sometimes around the dinner table. Tell us about your boxing background as well. Yes, well, you know, I came to New York from London sort of accidentally and also accidentally I found some, I found a gym, you know, just aerobics and the owner was going to Gleason's gym and doing boxing. She was, you know, really ahead of her time and she started bringing those moves into her class. So I just picked up on that and Mm. long story short, got really into it went to Gleason's myself and fought professionally and then wrote a book about it. But I didn't do it to write the book. People think that sometimes, but I was just, I didn't really know why I was doing it. So I sort of had to write the book to discover why I had gone all that way into this ridiculous thing, which was unheard of at that moment. And of course now is very normal. For the amount of training that you would have had to have done to get to the level that you're at, I don't think I would have been doing that just to write a book. Oh, God, no. That's right. Well, you know, it's been known. I do know someone that sort of did do that around oh. the same, a bit later than me. But I was really annoyed with that at the time because I thought, you know, come on, pay your dues. <laughs> I'm doing a real thing here. Yeah, 10 years, three or four or five hours a day in the gym. It's a, it's a lot. Yeah. It's nothing to sneeze at. No. But it's really fun. I mean, it's weirdly reminds me of um, mending in the way. Now, you won't know what I mean. Okay. <laughs> what I mean is um, every time I told a woman back then, you know, this is 92 at the beginning, you know, try boxing, you'll love it. They always did. It was just a, not just, oh, yeah, this is fun. This is cool. But I love this. I'm doing it all the time now. I'm obsessed. This is the same thing that happens with visible mending. It's a different sort of activity, but people really love it, really love it. So I'm just giving Mending another plug there, as if just your listeners need it. <laughs> or I'm sure they're all Mending already. They are, yeah. yeah. So then the other thing that you were doing ahead of your time, so boxing was one ahead of the times, your vintage trading and collection. I always wore vintage. I mean, I was, I grew up around the corner from Portobello market in London. And since I was 12, I went there on my own twice a week. I just started collecting, but it wasn't called collecting. It was called buying old clothes for 20 P and it was really not, not a thing, but I never stopped. And I really only like old clothes. There's this this hashtag now and this thing about nothing new, hashtag nothing new or whatever people are calling it. This is something I've, always done my whole life I've hardly ever bought new clothes after I was in magazines for many years and then magazines died and I looked around and thought what should I do and I thought there should be a swap for the great old clothes in the back of our closets I mean the really good stuff yeah and people should be able to swap it but it should be online so I did that and this was before any of those swap things the online things like here there's the real real and there's the one called uh, Poshmark the app and this um trade yeah trading among yourselves I want there to be this 
and you know, there's no reason you shouldn't do it with clothes you've made either. Just swapping and trading and lending and mending and all of these things. We should have a bit more of a communal attitude to clothes. But yeah, refashioner was a thing that I invented before those things had happened. And then I discovered I don't really like business at all. So you can see a little bit of it online. I know you've had a look at it. Yes. And yeah. as long as that, I leave that up. It's sort of there as a, as a little show, little show and tell. So what I think is interesting about old clothes is the stories. So with refashioner, I mean, you can do this trading your stuff online or selling your stuff online. But what I want you to do is tell the story as you pass it on. So with refashioner, you had to tell the garment story. There was an option, you know, the field that you had to fill in for the story. That's really helpful. I mean, and that gives people the reason as to what they've done and where it's gone to so that it's got another life. Absolutely. And then the previous life goes with it. I think it's lovely to pass it on with, you know, well, with love, but also with, you know, what you did in it. Oh, I wore this to my sister's wedding, but I'm never going to wear it again. You wear it to your sister's wedding. Now that you've said passing on, is there someone else in your family who is also into vintage clothing? Oh, well, yes. Yeah, the good segue there. My daughter, B, Beatrice, she is 17 now, but she's been wearing nothing but vintage since she was nine. I didn't do that. I swear I never made her, but she, I think she must have got the idea from me, probably. And it's really fun. I mean, she's got great style and she loves it. So it's a, yeah, it's a family thing now. I mean, and I've seen the photos of her wearing her vintage clothes online. Oh, yeah, you know what? She won't let me take those anymore. She, that, she was much littler then. Now she won't. She's beautiful and looks great in clothes and she won't let me take photos. Oh, that's good. It's good that your daughter has taken on your love for vintage. Yeah. And is having fun with it. Right. And also she's quite politically involved and she sort of, she, she organises things at her school that, she got me to talk to them actually in middle school about fast fashion and all of that, you know, explaining what is going on here, what you're wearing right now, where it comes from, why you might want to think about that. And, you know, made it entertaining, I hope. But yes, she's all, she writes about it for her school newspaper and she's quite, she'll probably be quite a crusader in her next life. Yeah. She's got a really good reference with her mum. And all the history that you know. Yeah, she's more into politics, which is not my thing. Before we end up this podcast about you and mending, what message do you want to leave our listeners? Well, um, I guess I'll have to say, please buy my book. <laughs> called Mend! Exclamation mark by, it's published by Penguin in the US. And, you know, I'm really terrible at um, publicity and really I, I need to do something about that because I just yeah but thank you because you're helping <laughs> no I don't so it's something it's really fun so you won't regret it it's got a lot of information as well as menspiration <laughs> in there <laughs> and instructions does it have a lot of your puns in there Oh, it's got a few, yes. I've tried to space them out. You know, I haven't overwhelmed you with horrible puns. That's great. I think the fact that you've got the historical aspect in your book, as well as the how-to, etc., 
And also the why, incidentally, that fast fashion evilness thing. I mean, it's terrible to be beaten over the head and told you shouldn't do something and it never quite works. So I've, I've tried to make it entertaining and very short, <laughs> but it, sh it does the trick. It, it gives you the background of what's wrong with fashion. Yeah. Thanks for putting the book together with all of that information in there because it sounds like it's going to be a really good resource, not just for now, but in the future. I hope so, yeah. I want it to be around for a while. It's not sort of, it shouldn't age too badly. Kate, thanks again so much for coming on to Selwyn Style podcast. Thank you, Maria. It's been really fun. I loved it. Thank you. And have a lovely day, listeners. This episode of Selwyn Style podcast for the Sewing, Save and Mending series was produced by me, Maria Thea Harris, with permission of Kate Seculis. Sound by bensound.com. You can subscribe to Soul Organized Style Podcasts, but with an S, not a Z, on Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and all good podcast distributors. Make sure you listen to previous podcasts by Katrine of Mending Mayhem for ways to take part in Mend March this year. Next episode will feature Kate of Visible Mend. Send any questions or suggestions you have on our podcast website at soulorganisedstylepodcast.com or on our Instagram Soul Organised Style account or on our Facebook page. We look forward to joining you in your sewing room next time. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>